Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Of course, this is a loaded Bill Belichick pod today after the Patriots have decided to move on from Bill Belichick. We're going to chat with my buddy Doug Kide from the Herald. And just a note on that, we chatted with Doug right after the joint press conference between Bill and Robert Kraft. So I do want to react to what Robert Kraft said in his own press conference in just a second here. Also, I'll give you my favorite memories from the Belichick era, Jamie McClellan will join us as well, give you his favorite memories from the Belichick era. But just on Kraft's press conference that as I'm recording right now, it's 2.29, it just wrapped up. A couple of things that stuck out to me. First of all, he was up there forever. That was like a 24, 25-minute press conference that we got from Robert Kraft where he took questions. So the first thing is he was naturally asked, why did you fire Bill? and Or why did you guys decide to part ways? Because technically they said they parted ways. He said the last three years have been tough, and he feels a responsibility to fix it. That's what you want to hear from your owner after it has been this bad for the Patriots. So I thought that was a really good answer, and it was a simplistic answer where he didn't go into details. He just said it hasn't been good enough. I thought that was certainly a good answer. Now, one other thing that stuck out to me, there's a couple of things actually, is he was asked if when Bill said at his press conference on Monday— that he would be willing to relinquish some personnel power. Did that have a change in how Robert Kraft thought about Bill's future? He said, every decision is Bill's. To take some of that power away and give it to somebody else, it's going to set up confusion. It wouldn't work. And Callahan alluded to this the other day on Monday. I agree with that, that, okay, now that you think about it, and I remember when Bill said this, it felt like, oh, he's digging his heels in. He wants to keep the job. This is a way that he'll do this. But really, after having that type of power for so long in the organization, where you had the final say in all the personnel stuff, all the football decisions, I don't know how you do it a different way, right? I don't know how Bill would be able to adapt to that. So even if you said, hey, Bill, now this guy has the personnel power, you don't have it anymore. I just don't think that would have been a reality. I don't think that would have been what happened. I don't think Bill would have been able to take that type of backseat because he had been doing it 
this way for so long in this destination. So I don't think that would have happened. Bill was also asked, and this is something that me and Doug got into as well, or excuse me, Robert was asked, and he essentially was asked, hey, are you going to hire the GM first or the head coach first, to paraphrase the question, and he said we're going to move quickly to solve those issues, but the focus has been on Bill Belichick and how they were going to make their decision on announcing all this, basically, to sum up what he was saying, but basically, he said we have to figure out what we're doing when it comes to that. We need to solve those issues, but they haven't decided yet whether it's going to be the GM or the coach first. He was also asked what he's looking for in the next coach because I give Kraft a lot of credit. He said he didn't want to talk about the future and what's going to happen next for the Patriots. This was supposed to be about Bill today. So I give him credit for that. But he did say he wants a coach that can get him to the playoffs and win. So that's important. The one other big thing here, and I know I said one other big thing like two times, but he was asked if he considered a trade because... We all know because Bill told us he's still under contract, right? And we got the news earlier in the season that he had signed an extension. But he said he didn't think it was right for Tom Brady, and he also didn't think it was right for Bill. He said it could be a bad business decision to make it transactional and not personal, right? So I thought that was a really interesting answer where he almost felt, or he did feel, I should say, that he was obligated to after everything that Tom did for the organization. Because remember, at the end of the tenure for Tom, Tom got this in his contract where he couldn't be franchised. And Robert Kraft gave him that. So they wanted Tom, or he wanted Tom, and Jonathan wanted Tom to have the ability to go to a different destination and pick it and not get holed up or held up. And apparently that's the same way he felt about Bill Belichick. I do wonder with that. Like, I totally understand where Kraft's coming from that. But if Bill had a destination, like, would... The Patriots have worked with them to get to that place. Like, it's crazy. You don't get anything for Brady or Belichick. I understand where Kraft's coming from with that. He wants to make it personal, right? He wants to make it let Bill choose his next destination after everything he did for the organization. So I can understand that. I just wonder if there was a way to, hey, Bill's going here. Let's get something in return. I wonder if there was a way to do that. But apparently that was not even like part of the thought process when it comes to Robert Kraft's decision there. But man, I, I can't believe how long he was up there. I was talking to Jamie before he started recording. The Red Sox won't even go to their event to introduce their team, or they won't even answer questions like they did last year with the town hall. Kraft's out there for 25 minutes talking about moving on from the greatest coach of all time. So a uh, big difference between the Red Sox ownership group right now and, of course, Robert Kraft. All right, coming up next, you'll hear from Doug Kide will get into Bill Belichick's press conference. Where does Bill go from here? Where do the Patriots go from here? We'll get into all that next. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now from Gillette, it is Doug Kide from the Herald. He just attended Bill Belichick's press conference. Doug, man, what a wild day. How are you, my friend? I'm doing all right. It was, uh, it was I guess, a, a rude awakening this morning. I literally woke up to the news that Bill Belichick and the Patriots had mutually agreed to part ways. So uh, definitely a shocking day, even though a lot of us kind of saw this coming down the pike. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about the Patriots without Brady and without Belichick. But just in terms of the press conference, I thought Bill handled himself really well. He even thanked the media, Doug. Did did you <laughs> feel a sense of gratitude there? I did. I, I, I didn't want to like throw that out there too hard on Twitter because I knew that all the uh, the media haters would be like, oh, of course, you're pointing out that he thanked the media. But 
I mean, not just thank the media, but said that he respected the job that we did, uh, you know, was smiling during that part. So yeah, I, I, I thought I would not have predicted that he would have thrown in a thank you to the media, but there we are. We had it. I was waiting for him to say, I really appreciate the story that Doug and Andrew Callahan <laughs> had last week in the Herald about the dysfunction of the, of the organization. Yeah. That would have been funny. But now that I think about it, so he comes out on Monday and he has this sort of defiant press conference where he says, well, I'm under contract. He references his contract, which he never does. And he also says he's willing to give up personnel power. So at that point, do you think he still thought that, hey, maybe I'd be the next head coach of the Patriots? Because seeing him today, and look, I know that we can't buy into everything you say at a press conference, but it does feel like he kind of seems like at ease, that he knows he's going to get another job elsewhere. So do you think that he wanted to keep the job on Monday and then he came to the realization that, hey, Kraft doesn't want me here anymore, and maybe there is a better destination for me? Good question. It's hard to get into the mind of Bill Belichick, but... I do think that, you know, as of Monday, it did seem like, I don't know if I, you know, like, I guess people have used the word defiant, but like, yeah, he said, I'm under contract. He said that he was heavily invested in the Patriots. Um, he alluded to the fact that he would be willing to give up personnel duties. It seems like over the last few days here, as he met with Robert Kraft, they realized that they couldn't come to an agreement on how he would maintain his role as head coach. So I tend to think that that's the way it went. I also think that there's part of me that thinks like, yes, they're saying all the right things and they're saying it's a mutual parting of ways and all those things, but maybe it did lean a little bit more heavily towards the organization rather than Belichick uh, making this decision. But at the same time for Bill Belichick, he would have to agree. I'm sure that he would have had to agree to a lot of things that he didn't want to agree to, to stay on his head coach. So I think that's how it becomes a mutual parting of ways, but I mean, if, if we're up to Bill Belichick and he could keep doing whatever he wanted to do as head coach, then yeah, I think Monday's press conference showed that he would have wanted to do that. Um, and it's a little bit disappointing, I think, that it, that it came down to this. I, I think time will tell if this was the right decision for him and the, and the team. I'm not sure if it is, uh, but this is the decision that they came to. Yeah, so when you say that, and we've talked about this before, I can't remember if it was on the pod or off the pod, but so if the decision, and you basically list out you had an article up today where you had eight potential Patriots head coaching candidates with Belichick out and at the top of the list you had Gerard Mayo and you had the quote from Kraft last year I can't remember was it the owners meetings where he said there's no ceiling on Mayo's ability to be a head coach and he'll be a head coach I'm sure of that I hope he's I hope it's with us so that's kind of telling you that he wants Gerard Mayo to be the head coach of the Patriots but your gut feeling right now does it feel like it's Mayo's job to lose because of how much they've sort of invested him to the point where he stopped doing interviews, correct me if I'm wrong, last year, that now this is going to be Mayo's job. It feels like to me, Doug, what happened here is they wanted to eventually give this job to Gerard Mayo. They thought, hey, we bring in Bill O'Brien, Mac Jones will look similar to what he looked like with Josh McDaniels in 2021, his rookie season, we'll get back on track and we can be successful for a couple of years. Maybe Bill can break Shula's record here and then Mayo can eventually take over. But it got so ugly to the point where the Patriots won four games that they feel like now they have to move on from Bill. And now it kind of feels like it's a weird situation to me because they want Mayo to be the guy, it feels like. But at the same time, it's like, 
Mike Rabel's out there. Mike Rabel's a proven head coach, and he's a former Patriot that won three Super Bowls. And the Tennessee Titans, you mentioned in your article too, they were mad that he was talking about how great of an organization the Patriots are. So it just feels like, to me, the Mayo high, if they hire Mayo now, that becomes a lot more scrutinized than maybe it would down the road. Yeah, this all happening this year rather than next year, I think does potentially complicate things. I would still lean towards Gerard Mayo being the next guy just based on those statements that Robert Kraft has made and that seeming to have been the plan as of May 2023 or whatever it was, March or May. Um, but, you know, it this all came a year early, it seems like. It seems like the plan was that for this all to happen after the 2024 season. They bought him out. They hit rock bottom in 2023. And now this has to happen a year early. I do think it's there's the potential that Mike Vrabel's availability could complicate things. I personally think it probably should complicate things just because Mike Vrabel is a proven head coach in the NFL. Whereas I mean, Gerard Mayo, I think I, I respect Robert Kraft's opinion about him. I think that Gerard Mayo was a great leader when he was on the defense here as a linebacker. I think he's been a great leader as a coach. But he's topped out as a linebackers coach in the NFL without even having that like de facto title that Brian Flores did during the 2018 season. Him, Steve Belichick, and Bill Belichick have kind of been sharing those defensive coordinator duties. So it's a lot to ask a linebackers coach to go straight to being head coach. Once again, I think the Gerard Mayo might be able to handle it. But I even look at a guy, and this is completely out of the box, and I'm not even sure if the Patriots would even consider him, but like, if Jim Harbaugh's out there, that's another fantastic candidate right now where like when he was in the NFL with 49ers, he took them to three straight NFC championship games, lost in a Super Bowl. He had an incredible record as a head coach for the 49ers, goes to Michigan, wins a national championship. I do think that they should definitely have a full head coaching search. I'm just not sure how legit we'll look at it if three weeks down the line, they wind up hiring Gerard Mayo anyway. Yeah, it's a great point, too. If it's just going to be Gerard Mayo, why not just wait and have Bill stay here? Because if you think about it from that perspective, what's going to happen on the defensive side of the football? In all likelihood, Steve Belichick is going wherever his dad goes. He's not going to stick around to be the defensive coordinator for Gerard Mayo. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mayo, I know he does a ton of the game planning, but Steve Belichick's calling the defensive plays, right? So yep. it's it just doesn't make sense if it's just Mayo. To your point about having this search... This job, I made this point the other day on the pod, this job has now become more appealing. You have, because oh, yeah. you lost to the Jets in one of the worst football games you watch, you have the third pick. So you have the chance to get Drake May or Jaden Daniels. Also, the owner is hungry to win, and the owners, to their credit, this is an appealing job because of them. Like, this is a good ownership mm -hmm. group. You have a ton of money to spend if you want in salary cap space, so you could go out and Get a receiver. I know you don't have the best weapons. You got to remake the offensive line. And also, but the defense is going to be good next season. You have good personnel there. You have decisions to make. But if Jim Harbaugh is interested in the Patriots, if Mike Vrabel is interested in the Patriots, these are proven commodities. Gerard Mayo, you mentioned it. He may be a great coach down the road. He may be the next great Patriots head coach. But how do you not have both these guys in the room if they want to at least consider your job? Because here's the other thing. It's not like a ton of these other jobs are super appealing, and Bill's going to get one of them, whether mm -hmm. it's the Chargers. Now, I don't think the Commanders would be interested in Bill, especially now that they're. it feels like they want to go into analytics and all this. Callahan mentioned this the other day. But, like, the Cowboys, if that becomes available, mm -hmm. that's an appealing job. The Cow And we can get into that with Bill. The Cowboys, 
the commanders to me are appealing the chargers but what, like some of these jobs are going to fall off and the patriots are right there no absolutely and i mean with Gerard mayo i know what robert Kraft said about his ceiling as a head coach and that he hopes that he like how long of a leash do you give Gerard mayo if this team continues to put together four and 13 seasons i guess that you could say the same thing about mike Vrabel or jim harbaugh but i do think that there's at least there are at least proven commodities in the NFL that you might be able to say like, okay, that's the talent on the team rather than just we're bringing in this first time head coach and he's the problem. So I don't know. And I go back to, obviously a lot of people have soured on Bill Belichick after the last few years. And it's understandable why they have not had the kind of success that a lot of people expected them to have and that they probably should have had since Tom Brady left. But I mean, you look at some of these teams like the Falcons, for instance, if the Falcons hire Bill Belichick, like, Two years ago, they think that Arthur Smith's the guy. Like, I'm sure that their ownership, I'm sure that Arthur Blank had the same opinion about Arthur Smith that B- Robert Kraft has again about Gerard Mayo right now. And two years later, he's gone. Or the same thing could be said about Josh McDaniels midway through the season. Like, obviously, they believed in Josh McDaniels, and a year and a half later, he's gone. It's just so dangerous to get into this head coaching cycle before you actually need to. And I do think that there could have been something to be said about giving Bill Belichick just one more year, having Gerard Mayo be groomed for one more year. I will say that obviously Gerard Mayo is set up well with the defense right now. And I was listening to the sports hub coming in and um, Albert Breer was talking to uh, Zoe and Beetle and they raised the possibility that like, I don't know, like should Steve Belichick and Brian Belichick stick on a Gerard Mayo staff? And I think that we all just assume that those guys will go with Bill Belichick wherever he lands. And I think that Steve Belichick has even said something like, I I never want to coach for anyone other than my dad. But like, maybe it would make sense if Gerard Mayo would want to keep them around. Maybe it would make sense for them too to kind of try to build their own thing under Gerard Mayo and, and prove themselves as coaches outside of Bill Belichick. So we'll see how all of that goes. I would assume that they'll leave with Bill Belichick. Um, but it really feels like the staff in general on defense could wind up being split with Bill Belichick leaving. A lot of the free agents that were expecting to return to the Patriots could follow Bill Belichick. Um, and who knows what happens with the personnel staff as well. Obviously, that's something we'll probably get into too, but it, it feels like the Patriots are just going to promote from within. So I'm not sure how much really changes here for the positive for the Patriots. It seems like, if anything, there's a lot of things that were going right that could be leaving the building. Yeah, and with Steve Belichick and Brian Belichick, I guess the point would be, hey, can we have success, especially Steve, like if he ultimately wants to be a head coach, like can I have success without my dad around, right? And if you think about it, like what if, say, like one of these, Mike McDonald gets hired somewhere, right? Like the Ravens defensive coordinator, and I know Harbaugh and Bill have had his issues going all the (laughs) way back to the formations, right? The illegal formations, deflate it and all that in terms of they leaked this stuff to the Colts. But like, what if a good team hires him and then he starts to do a good job somewhere else? So maybe that is part of the calculus here, too. I just I look at it, too, like when you start to think about it from Bill's perspective and where he's going to land. I just continue to be fascinated by this because obviously Atlanta, it feels like if Bill wants Atlanta, he's going to get Atlanta. It just feels that way. Like it just that's the momentum is going in that direction. But you also think about it like these other jobs that are out there. The Chargers is appealing because of Herbert. And I know they mm-hmm. still have some roster stuff to do. Maybe Atlanta is desperate enough to give him personnel power, too, because they want like mm-hmm. a proven. They went the coordinator route the previous two times. Now they can get like an they went Dan Quinn and then they went Arthur Smith. And then the other thing is like, what if some crazy stuff happens? Like, what if 
it gets really ugly with the Eagles and Sirianni. Like, that is trending right. in the wrong direction. That's a ready-made team to win right now. What about the Bills? Like, what if the Bills, and I know they've, in a weird way, rallied behind Sean McDermott for, like, the comments about 9-11. Like, somehow the team has rallied behind. I think they've had some really weird social media posts, like, saying that we have your back, whatever. I don't know why they would put that out there. But what if one of those jobs comes open, too? Like, I feel like one of, like, or, like, the one we always reference is the Cowboys. If Mike McCarthy chokes against his former team. So... I do feel like there's a lot of interesting openings now for Belichick if like, he want, he clearly wants to coach. I mean, one other one I would throw out there, and I know nothing about this, but there's just so much weirdness right now happening with the Giants, with the Wink Martindale situation, uh, with them like firing so much of their staff. Like, I mean, now that Bill Belichick's available, like teams might decide that, oh, okay, Belichick's out there. Now we kind of re-examine things and, you know, I don't know. I, I, I would assume that Brian, Brian Dable is safe with the Giants, but you'd think that if there was any job out there that Bill Belichick would want, it would probably be the Giants where he's at least still close to Nantucket, still close to home. But yeah, I mean, the, the Falcons seems to be the, I don't know, the, the most sure thing for, for Bill right now. But even like Carolina, they fired their GM. They don't have a head coach. So there's kind of that, that place for Bill Belichick to slot right in. And with the Falcons, like, yeah, Arthur Smith's already gone. Terry Fontenot, I don't think, has done a great job there with the Falcons, so I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they decide to go the Bill Belichick route to either then turn around and fire Terry Fontenot or like move him down the organization or something like that. I don't know if he would be willing to do something like that, um, but we've kind of seen similar things happen with some organizations in the past, like the Eagles, like when Chip Kelly took over personnel duties, they kind of reshifted the front office a little bit. So. There, there's a lot of possibilities out there. And like you said, it's not just the the seven other openings out there. There could be other openings coming together now that Bill Belichick is a possibility. I do laugh at teams like the Titans and the Commanders, who it's already been reported that like these guys are not on their list. Like the Titans said that I think someone reported that they, they Jim Harbaugh and Bill Belichick are not on their list of candidates. Like, why not? Like, come on. Like, that just seems insane to me that, like, you're just, okay, we're eliminating the two most viable candidates from our list because we probably want control over whoever takes over as head coach. Like, probably not the greatest way to be running a business. That sounds like, hey, I left the company. Actually, no, you actually got fired. That's what it feels like to me. It's like, <laughs> right. Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh don't want your job because it's not <laughs> right. an appealing job. You don't have a good yeah. enough draft pick. You don't have a good enough roster. I guess it would depend if like one of them really liked Levis, but it's not a very attractive right. destination. And then you mentioned the Atlanta thing with Terry Fontenot. That feels like sort of the office space situation where he's the GM, but Arthur Blank and Rich McKay are running the coaching right. search, not the GM. That's just like a bizarre situation when it comes to that. So I'm guessing that Bill is just going to sit back for a couple of weeks and figure out what the options are and... I wonder, too, like, do you think that he just sort of gets the band back together where Josh McDaniels goes with him to be the offensive coordinator? And we were talking about Steve earlier. Steve becomes his defensive coordinator. Is that how you feel on that? Probably, yeah. I think that it's going to be familiar names that are going with him, um, you know, to to whatever destination that he goes to. Uh, Josh McDaniels certainly, would, I think, would be the, the leading candidate to be his offensive coordinator. Um, Steve Belichick or, like, I don't know. There, there's been some other guys, obviously, that Bill Belichick has has worked with through the years who he could bring over as defensive coordinator. But Steve and Brian and you know Mike Pellegrino, all almost the Patriots' entire staff, their first jobs in the NFL 
came with the Patriots under Bill Belichick. So obviously a lot of those guys owe a lot uh, to Bill Belichick. I've heard that, you know, DeMarcus Covington, the Patriots defensive line coach, he might wind up being more of a Mayo guy, but like people have said that he's ready to be a defensive coordinator too. So there's a lot of talent in that Patriots defensive coaching staff right now who could certainly be ready for bigger roles. But yeah, I mean, with Josh McDaniels out there, I'm sure to him, he'd probably rather live in New England, uh, but that would be a pretty safe landing spot, you would think, wherever Bill Belichick goes to then become his offensive coordinator. All right, and in some sense, I feel like, and you wrote about this today too in one of your articles, I feel like in some sense that the GM position is almost more important at this point. I don't want to say more important, but just as important as the head coach because we've seen that the drafts now, last year's may turn out to be really good with Christian Gonzalez and Mario Douglas. But the point being is the drafts has been the bigger issue with Belichick than the actual coaching. So if you look at that, some of the names that you put out there, the in-house candidates, I don't want it to be Matt Groh if he's been so heavily involved here lately. There's Elliot Wolf, And then you mentioned some of the guys like John Robinson and I don't know if I could hire that guy based on the A.J. Brown trade. Dave Ziegler, of course. Bob Quinn's out there. Adam Peters, to me, it feels like he is the number one candidate for teams across the league in terms of the GM candidate. Of course, he worked at the Patriots, but also had success with Denver. And, of course, recently, the San Francisco roster is the best in the NFL working there under John Lynch. So do you think they hire the GM first and then the head coach or do you think they'll because some teams have done it in the reverse where they've hired the head coach and then they've hired a gm how do you think this is going to work it's a really good question and that's something that we might find out from robert Kraft during his 2 p.m media availability coming up here but i think that you know Kraft has to be the one who's running both searches right now um i wouldn't be shocked since there's like since there's just less um hurdles to go over for the gm job that maybe the gm does get hired first or promoted first or whatever that's going to be because like with the coaches you have to wait on a lot of the coaches who are still in the playoffs so if the patriots want to talk to any of those coaches there's like certain dates that you have to wait after or before to do virtual in-house like in-person all that kind of stuff with gms you can basically just interview them whenever And I do think it's probably going to wind up being one of the in-house candidates uh, for the Patriots GM. Uh, We'll, we'll see how that winds up shaking out. My, I think the leader in the clubhouse, as far as in-house candidates would go, would be director of scouting Elliot Wolf. But if he takes over, he's been in other places. He only, he's only been with the Patriots for two or three years. So I think there still would be a lot of changes in the Patriots front office scouting staffs. I know that people within the front office do expect there to be a lot of changes now that Bill Belichick is gone. Um, but that's it's gonna be curious to hear what Robert Kraft has to say about that. About like, okay, who is running the GM search? Who is running the coaching search? Do you have a preference on who's hired first? Because if it's two in-house candidates, if it's if it's Gerard Mayo and Elliot Wolf, then you could actually just wind up seeing Robert Kraft like leading both of those. And then saying like, all right, you guys are working together now. Um, maybe that's not the best way to handle it, but that's almost the way that I've kind of envisioned things are going to go. Uh, but it it is a really good question because I think teams usually prefer to have the GM hired first since he's the one who's going to have final say over the organization. But you could even, I, I, this is, I don't think this is necessarily going to happen, but who knows, you could even see a situation where the Patriots hire a head coach who has final say in personnel. Like that's what's worked for so long here. If Robert Kraft finds the right guy who he believes in, maybe that could wind up being the case too. 
Yeah, and if it's Vrabel, maybe after what he dealt with in Tennessee, he'd want final say just because right. of how pissed he was about the A.J. Brown trade. And, of course, he was – it just seems like they were on opposite pages this year in terms of, like, DeAndre Hopkins, they bring in, but they're rebuilding. It's kind of a weird situation. Yeah. So maybe he would want final say. But Elliot Wolf's an interesting name because – so, of course, his father, very famous in the NFL in terms of his success. But he was an executive with Green Bay forever – Elliot mm-hmm. Wolf, and then he goes to Cleveland under John Dorsey. And so last year he took over as director of scouting, like you mentioned that. And previous to that, he was a front office consultant. So I'm wondering, like, how heavily do you think that he was involved in last or in 2022? He took over as director of scouting. But if he had a huge role in the 2023 draft, I mean, that would be something to look at because you drafted Christian Gonzalez, Keon White, and then Demario Douglas looks like he's a real player. We'll see down the road about Keishon Booty. Etc. But so that that would be more appealing to me than the macro route, just because it feels like macro is just like almost going. It's like a Belichick clone, like hiring somebody from the Belichick tree rather than Elliot Wolf who had his own experience. So you don't think they'll go outside the family tree at all and look at other candidates from different organizations? You think it's more so? Hey, Craft uh, wants somebody he's familiar with because I do think that. Going back to the coaching search, like you should probably do that with the GM search too, because a yeah. lot of teams have had a lot more success drafting and in free agency. Yeah, that would be my my guess, my like educated guess. I guess that Patriots probably, but I think they'll at least bring in external candidates. Um, I'm hoping that it's not kind of a sham the way that the offensive coordinator search was handled, where it was Bill O'Brien and a bunch of guys that they were interviewing for positional coaches, uh, positional coach ro- roles, but. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of internal candidates. I would throw, you know, Pat Stewart in there, Cameron Williams, um, you know, Matt Groh. I, it does seem like Matt Groh has had the most power within that staff over the last few years, so I could certainly understand wanting to move away from that. And I just asked someone within the front office, like, hey, out of the internal candidates, like, who do you think is the best guy for it, basically? And that person did say that, you know, everyone kind of has their flaws, but that Elliot is the best uh, fit at this point from a scouting and strategy standpoint. So it seems like he just kind of has the best grasp on things and maybe, yeah, just being an external guy, there would be like enough of a shakeup there that he's still getting coming from an outside perspective, not going to run things the Patriot way, not going to just be an extension of Bill Belichick that he'll actually kind of have his own decisions, his own thoughts, his own changes to the organization. So that's why I personally would lean towards Elliot Wolf, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible they would bring in Adam Peters and some of these other external candidates. It's just really hard to predict like who those guys would necessarily be because they like if they don't have ties to Robert Kraft, then I'm not sure what specific would be uh, specifically would be appealing to the Kraft family. All right, I'll get you out on some rapid fire here, Doug. So third overall pick in the draft. What's the percentage? I'm not asking you to predict the guy because who knows who goes second, who goes third. What's the percentage chance that the Patriots take a quarterback? I hope it's like close to 100. <laughs> ah, it's so tough because like I, I've said before, like so many things can change and you're already seeing like things out there. That, oh, actually, Jaden Daniels is one of the top two quarterbacks in the, in the draft, you know, that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I know this feels like a cop out, but like 51% maybe. I just think that like, Ooh, it's tough. Low. It's tough if it's if it's not one of the top two guys. Like if you think that Marvin Harrison Jr. can be like the best wide receiver in the NFL, and if Jaden Daniels is the third best quarterback available, 
then it just feels like there's a higher percentage chance that you're going to hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. than you will on the quarterback. And obviously the quarterback would be the game changer there, but it's just ultimately up to whoever's making that decision that they think that that quarterback can be the guy for the future. And once you're getting the third best quarterback in the draft, obviously the chances of that being a sure thing just drop precipitously. Yeah, I mentioned earlier in the week, like I'm watching a lot of Jaden Daniels right now, man. Like I'm, I'm really starting to fall in love with Jaden Daniels. It's so explosive, throws yeah. a really nice deep ball. So we'll see. Okay, so next season, the head coach of the Patriots, we went through some of the candidates and you had other candidates in your article too that aren't obviously as front and center as Mayo and Vrabel and Harbaugh, but the Brian Floreses of the world could be a candidate as well. But it feels like it's Mayo, Vrabel, like those, those guys. So your prediction, who's the head coach of the Patriots in 2024? Uh, my prediction as of Thursday, January 11th, would be Gerard Mayo. Obviously, things can certainly change there, but just based on a lot of the things that Robert Kraft has said, this seems to be the way that the Tealies have been shifting over the years. So uh, I would I would say Mayo. I do think that Vrabel could potentially throw a wrench in those plans, but uh, since Robert Kraft a year ago was saying such positive things about Mayo, I, I would still go with Mayo as of right now. All right, and Bill Belichick is coaching where? I, I'd love to throw some like crazy guess out there, like the Cowboys or Giants or something like that, but it, it does feel like the smartest bet at this point is the Falcons. Uh, so I'll say them, but I, I wouldn't say that my confidence is is that high in that. I think that whenever you're weeks out like we are right now and everyone kind of has the same idea, the same thought on on where someone's going to go, it always winds up shifting a little bit. And I mean, Bill Belichick has to be on board with the Falcons the same way that the Falcons reportedly are are on the, are, are heading towards Bill Belichick. And I don't know what Bill Belichick thinks of Arthur Blank or that organization or the city of Atlanta. I know he's got some fond memories there since the Patriots won a Super Bowl. But um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I don't think Belichick would necessarily care that the team that he's going to needs a quarterback. But like with the Falcons, you need a quarterback and you're probably not going to find a great one in the draft unless you give up a ton to move up, which Bill Belichick has not shown a willingness to do in the, in the past. So Belichick is getting up there in years. Like what's, what's the confidence level for him without a quarterback in there that he can be successful with the Falcons and be getting to a Super Bowl within the next like two to three years. I think that's something he has to ask himself. Yeah. It's tough. Cause they're not in that zone for the top three. And then you start to think about it. Like, the Patriots didn't really like Fields when he was coming out, so would right. they want to trade for Fields? So you are kind of so. stuck there. Like they have some interesting players. Like I still like Pitts, even though like he's yep. underachieved. I like Drake London. Bijan Robinson is awesome, but yeah, that would be tough because he'd be going to a no quarterback situation. But maybe Bill's like, "Fuck it, I don't, I don't care." Like it's no quarterback. <laughs> All right, Jimmy before Garoppolo. I let you, yeah, before we let, you, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo. Hey, maybe he gets Brady out of retirement. What do you think Ooh. Kraft would think of that? Like th- it oh, seems man. like they've. Uh, reconciled their issues all right before we let you go do you have like a favorite memory of covering bill um some awkward yeah. presser or something <laughs> I, there was there was a moment um i don't remember what season it was now it might have been like 2017 or 2018 but i asked him about like why does the team have more success finding roles for players that they acquire in season than they do with players that they acquire in free agency. I think it was like the Coney Ely year, or uh, I forgot like what year it was. But he answered the question a little bit in the press conference. But then uh, I went back to my my seat in the media workroom and I got kind of the summons that like, hey, go on the hall or whatever. And and then Bill wanted to talk about it for another like three or four or five minutes, whatever it was. He was like basically that like 
he didn't think that he could answer the question in full in the press conference. So he just wanted to give like a little bit more context behind the answer just in person, like one-on-one and that it was off the record, but that like, he just wanted to give a little bit more context behind his answer. So um, definitely thought that that was cool. I think a lot of reporters have kind of around those years had those moments with Bill where he just wanted to discuss something a little bit further out in the hall. Uh, but I'm, I'm certainly grateful that I had one of those moments that, that I could, you know, get Belichick one-on-one to talk some, talk about something that obviously he was pretty passionate about. Uh, so that's the one that, that definitely stands out to me. Uh, I always looked forward to the Christmas cards that we would get from Bill Belichick. We would get holiday cards from him. That, that it's like, it's kind of sporadic when it happens. It wasn't every year. So like around like January 5th or 6th, you reach out to other people being like, did you get a Belichick card this year? And everyone's like, no, we didn't. So then you're like, okay, I'm not like, I did not get a card. I didn't get crossed off the list or whatever. But yeah, just little funny things with it, like that for Belichick were, and obviously just all the Super Bowls that we got to cover because Belichick was head coach. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously the moments in the pressers weren't always the most pleasant. Uh, you got the one word answers after loss and all that stuff, but there were still good human moments with Bill Belichick throughout the years. Yeah, that's hilarious the holiday cards some years you would get them some years you, <laughs> you didn't get them that's awesome yeah. all right that is doug kide from the herald doug congrats on that story last week with callahan that was awesome and thanks for making some time for us i know it's a busy day with of course all this news going on thanks for joining us throughout the season as well man absolutely anytime brian appreciate it as good as the regular season is there's nothing like nfl super wild card weekend six games three days for these teams it's win or go home But you'll always have a spot in the playoffs with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. FanDuel has so many ways for you to pick up a W. All right, so I'm looking at this Bills-Steelers game coming up. I like the Bills to, of course, beat the Steelers. I like Josh Allen for an anytime touchdown and Dalton Kincaid over four and a half receptions. So you can get that at plus 323 as a same game parlay. Bills to beat the Steelers, Josh Allen anytime touchdown, and Dalton Kincaid over four and a half receptions. So if you want to follow my picks, go to FanDuel right now. New customers get started with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike to join today. That's FanDuel.com slash Pike. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in president select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Doug Kide on what is up next for the Patriots, what just happened with the Patriots. It's really amazing that we're at this point and always enjoy chatting about the Pats with Doug. And he had a great story, of course, as we referenced with Callahan last week. So ton of fun talking with Doug. I just, I can't believe this day is actually here. And it's different than the Brady thing, right? Because I remember back when Brady made the announcement that he was leaving the Patriots. From my perspective, I was more mad than sad. Not mad at Tom, just mad at the fact that the situation had gotten to this point where Brady was no longer going to end his career as a member of the Patriots. And we're at the same point here, right? Like I tried to rally behind the laundry, right? Belichick and company, they'll figure this out. They'll be able to find a way to stay competitive. Obviously, I was completely wrong on that. I mean, clearly, Brady, if we're going back to the whole divorce thing, this isn't the day for that. But Brady had immediate success in Tampa Bay, and things have gotten worse for Belichick the further we're removed 
from the Tom Brady era. But at that point, I was mad. I was upset. Like, how are they going to figure this out? But I thought, yeah, they can figure this out. They have Bill Belichick. So I was just mad at that point that Brady would no longer be the quarterback of the Patriots. This one, I'm sad because, first of all, how it ended, where Brady, it felt like, hey, you look at what he did after. He was still a great quarterback after he left the Patriots. And look, maybe this happens for Bill in a new destination, too. But it ended so poorly for Bill. Like Brady's team, at least they were a playoff team in the year prior they went to the Super Bowl, right? Obviously, Belichick was very involved in that as the head coach that shut down Sean McVay in that Super Bowl. But you get my point. It's like with Bill, you went out and you had four wins and you have the third pick. And the last image we have is Bill sort of in that ski mask. He was dealing with an illness prior to the game that week. So this is sad. I was mad with the Brady thing because I just couldn't imagine Tom playing for another team This thing with Belichick, I'm just sad that this is sort of how it ended. But I sort of wanted to run through some of my great memories and moments with Belichick as head coach because this is barely, this is what I know. I remember the 96 Super Bowl, but I don't remember vividly. I was a kid. So I remember, and after I learned about the whole Parcells controversy, I wasn't old enough to actually put that into context at that particular point in time. I barely remember the Pete Carroll era. The one vivid memory I have is Robert Edwards going down at the, whatever it was, they called it the flag football thing. Not that I remember the actual injury, but the story, like how did he get hurt? But I don't have a lot of memories pre-Belichick when it comes to the Patriots, just based on my age. So I wanted to run through some of this stuff. If you think back, how about the fact that he stuck with Tom? I mean, this seems like so long ago now, but remember Brady takes over for Bledsoe, famously after the Mo Lewis hit. And Bledsoe, we talked about this with him on the pod when we had him on, but a year ago, he was severely injured. Remember, he sheared a blood vessel in his chest. So Bledsoe takes a while to come back from that injury, and Brady starts picking up steam. The Patriots start winning games, and Bledsoe is then finally cleared to come back. The Patriots, they lose to the Rams during the regular season. We all know the story there, what happened at the end of that season, but they lose to the Rams 24-17. to In that game, Brady threw two interceptions. That was actually the first week that Bledsoe was medically cleared to practice. So the following week, Belichick announces Tom is the starter for the rest of the season, even after that performance against the Rams that wasn't so great. Like at that point, you figure, hey, this could be even more controversy, right? Because Brady was not good in that game against, at the time, the St. Louis Rams. So that week in practice, before the Rams game, Bledsoe was getting reps, right? So what What Bill Belichick said is the problem was in that game, it was actually that Brady wasn't getting enough snaps in practice prior to the Rams game. He said there were times in the Rams game that the offense, and in particularly Brady, would have performed better if Tom had gotten more reps at practice. So Bill said the timing was not right for Bledsoe to have a chance to win his job back. Bill, actually, this is a direct quote. This is about... New Orleans in the last third of our season. It's not a a case of somebody beating somebody else out. This is not about Bledsoe losing his job. It's not equal. One player has played the last eight weeks, but the other has not had that opportunity. So obviously Bledsoe, he was naturally pissed. He was really upset. And the big issue here, or the smart thing looking back at that is, this is when the controversy could have peaked at its highest. And Bill said, no, Brady's the guy. And he actually said... Well, the reason we lost is not because we didn't play Bloodso. It's actually because Tom didn't get enough reps in practice. Like, that is next-level stuff, right? So, and remember, that offseason, the Patriots had signed Drew Bloodso 
to a record at the time deal. It seems like nothing now, but a record deal at the time, 10 years and $103 million. And so that was their guy. Now, Bill, the previous season, went 5-11. and 11. And at the time, there was like, after that, there was all this stuff about, hey, actually, Brady, they were thinking about going, like, Brady was better than Drew in training camp and all that. But the point being is the previous season, Bill went 5-11. and 11. And he said, during this controversy, I'm not going with a guy we just paid $103 million to, or at least gave a contract of $103 million to. I'm going with the young guy. I'm, got, I'm going with the guy that was the afterthought, right? That was bold. It takes balls to do that. And it sends a message, hey, this is our guy. And we think about it like this isn't vintage Tom Brady. This is just young Tom Brady out of Michigan that was taking over for Drew Bledsoe, who was the former number one pick in the draft. And I have to imagine that helped Brady and his confidence so much. Like we get caught up all the time in this Brady-Belichick debate. I just actually referenced it earlier. But Bill helped make Tom early in his career. And having that confidence to say, you know what, actually, we lost because Tom didn't practice. I mean, it's unbelievable to think back to that point in time. But anyway, after that, we all know the Patriots did not lose another game. They win six straight in the regular season. And we know they win three more in the postseason, so nine straight. And he also made the decision again to start Brady in the Super Bowl against the Rams. We actually talked to Drew Bledsoe about this, too, on the pod. Remember... In that Pittsburgh Steelers AFC Championship game, Brady got injured, Bledsoe came in. Not that Bledsoe did a whole lot in that game, but the Patriots won, and that was another controversy. And again, Bill goes back to Tom Brady. Like, that was a legit sports talk radio thing at the time. I actually remember my father wanted to go with Bledsoe at the time. He's like, hey, they got to go back to Drew. And obviously, the decision was Belichick goes back to Brady, and the rest is history. They win the Super Bowl. But that decision to stick with Tom going back to after that loss to the Rams, that's what started this whole dynasty, right? So we always talk about the debate. It's important to remember how it all started. Not many coaches would have had the balls to do what Bill did with such confidence, right? And especially considering the leader that Bledsoe was and sort of the aura and the perception of he's our guy. But at the time, Belichick knew that it was the right decision and he didn't care. He was confident in his decision. He didn't care what people thought. And then on that run, of course, he had the tuck rule game. But in the Super Bowl, we talked to Ted Johnson about this a couple of weeks ago. That moment where they decide the Patriots are getting introduced as a team. Unbelievable, right? Where you have goosebumps and then the Patriots, they pick off Kurt Warner twice in that game. They beat up the Rams receivers. Torrey Holt had just 49 yards, one of the best receivers in the game. Marshall Falk, they were hitting him every time. When he didn't have the football, they were absolutely crushing this guy, right? And the Rams, they make a run. I mean, this is a historic offense. I mean, that's another great thing about the Brady-Belichick dynasty, not to go on a complete digression here, but they ruined the Seahawks' possibility of a dynasty if they won two in a row after beating Peyton Manning. They held Peyton Manning in particular, like, in a position where he couldn't win for years against, and I'll get into that in a second, couldn't win for years against the Patriots. And, of course, you think about going back to this Rams team that had an opportunity to win its second Super Bowl in three years. You can also look at like, hey, the Mahomes Chiefs, yeah, they have the two Super Bowls, but they prevented them from winning one in 2018 as well. And then, of course, Brady did it again when he was with the Bucs. But anyway, so the Rams come back, they tie things up. The Patriots get the ball back with 121 left at their own 17. John Madden, who's calling the game, of course, at the time for Fox, says they should just play for overtime. He doesn't agree with them trying to move the ball down the field. Just play for overtime. 
Belichick says, no, fuck that. Brady leads them down the field. Adam Vinatieri hits the game-winning field goal. We all know the story. Like, they're saying on the broadcast, hey, play for overtime. Belichick's like, no, I have complete faith in this kid. They go down the field. They kick the field goal. But that was the first year where sort of the genius was on display. And this was the start of the whole thing where Bill was willing to stick with Tom. Bill was willing to let this guy, Tom Brady, have a chance 17-17 late in the game. Bill was willing to go back to Tom Brady the second time. This is sort of how the dynasty started. And then I go to a couple of other memories, just like how they owned Peyton Manning early on. Now, eventually Manning would get them in 06, but 2003, Peyton Manning throws for 278 yards, four touchdowns in week 13 against the Pats. Now, this is a game that the Patriots won 38 to 34. And remember, famously, the goal line stand. The Colts had a chance down four. They had the ball at the two with 109 left. The Patriots stop him. Brewski's running off the field. He's flipping his helmet off. It was just wild, insane. Like that was the genius of the Patriots defense. Even with Peyton Manning having a big statistical afternoon, the Patriots had the last laugh. But then you get the rematch, right? In the playoffs, Belichick and the defense crush Manning. He throws four picks and he finishes with a 35.5 rating. Ty Law picked him off three times. He just had no idea what was going on, right? And the Patriots, they go on, they beat the Panthers in that Super Bowl. The following postseason, you beat down the Colts again, this time 20-3. to And then, of course, you beat the Steelers in the AFC Championship game. And then a young Ben Roethlisberger. And you beat the Eagles with an injured T.O. who did go nuts in that game. You beat the Eagles, you win that Super Bowl. But another win over Manning. So early on, they really owned Manning. And that was sort of the matchup. And Belichick always got the best of them early on in the tenure. But... The early dynasty was, to me, about owning Manning and the birth of Brady, and Belichick deserves a ton of credit for developing Brady. Like, Brady is not the quarterback, does not have the success without Belichick. I mean, I know that sort of goes without saying, but it's important to remember, as Belichick is no longer the head coach of the Patriots, that part of the reason Brady's as good as he is, is because of Bill Belichick, right? Some other moments and events, and that Belichick had the balls to say, I'm not putting the guy that is making $103 million back. I'm sticking with the young kid. That takes balls. That takes fortitude. Some other moments and events, this is just a personal favorite of mine. This is not like a super relevant game. But do you remember in 2007, Anthony Smith guaranteed a win over the Patriots? He was the safety for the Steelers or corner for the Steelers. The Patriots go at him. Brady throws a 63-yard touchdown pass to Randy Moss early in that game. Brady finishes with 399 yards and four touchdowns. Moss goes for seven, a buck 35, two touchdowns. At one point, Brady famously, famously ran down the field, and he yelled at Smith. Remember, he got in his face after he threw a touchdown pass. And you knew the game plan. Brady and Belichick wanted to go right after him, right? And the best part about this whole situation to me, and I remember watching this vividly when they were just throwing the ball down the field on Anthony Smith. And as a Syracuse alum, it hurts thinking back to that now. But anyway, Belichick says this after the game. We've played against a lot better safeties than him, I'll tell you. Mic drop. <laughs> That's all Bill says. We played against a lot better safeties than him. Love that moment. Just epic. All right, some other things. We talk a lot about Bill the GM, and especially recently, and justifiably so with the way that it ended and the poor drafts in recent history. But remember, it got dicey after 07 for the Patriots. Brady got injured in 2008. The 2009 season, they got killed by the Ravens. Remember the early Ray Rice touchdown to start that game after the 2009 season, that playoff run. 2010, 
They get back on track, have a great season, but then they get upset by the Jets in Foxborough. Hated that game. The following season, they make it to the Super Bowl. But remember, they were the second worst defense in the league that year from a total defense perspective. They gave up 411 yards per game. They were horrible. So Bill goes on a hot streak during that time period drafting. 2010, he drafted Gronk and McCourty in the same draft. Same draft. Gronk's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. McCourty, without question, is going to be a Patriot Hall of Famer. Gronk was in the second round because he was dealing with the back injury. But Belichick saw the vision to go with this tight end who could create a mismatch for him. Also, if you think about it too, Bill was ahead of the curve with the salary cap going way back early on. And I know it doesn't seem that way now. But the point is... You knew that Gronk was not going to cost you the same amount of money down the road as the best receivers because of the position, and it helped the Patriots fill out the roster that their best weapon was a tight end and not a receiver because he was making way less than the premium receivers. But anyway, so McCourty was a really good corner his rookie year. Not so much after that. They turned him into one of the best safeties in the league for more than a decade. Now, during that stretch, they also drafted guys. In 2010, they drafted Brandon Spikes, who, of course, contributed. Aaron Hernandez, we know that story. But then in 2011, he grabs Nate Solder, who becomes the left tackle for the second dynasty. Then in 2012, very important, they trade up for Chandler Jones, who, by the way, he's got this video out today on social media about Bill Belichick. Obviously, Chandler's had his issues. Uh, The video is something else. I'll say that. But anyway, they trade up for him. They needed a legit pass rusher. They get Chandler Jones, and they draft Dante Hightower. Hightower has, of course, huge plays in big games. You think about the tackle on Marshawn Lynch before the interception that Russell Wilson threw to Malcolm Butler and the strip sack of Matt Ryan. Like, Dante Hightower always showed up in big games. And, of course, Chandler Jones was part of that team in 14 that won the Super Bowl. And then some smaller hits like 2013, Logan Ryan and Deron Harmon. 2014, our buddy James White, they drafted him, who could have easily been the Super Bowl MVP when he... He has now, what, 20 points at a Super Bowl, which is now tied with Jalen Hurts. He has 14 receptions, the most ever. So these are huge draft picks that Bill made during that stretch. I know it's like hard to imagine because of what has happened recently. But during that stretch, the Tlaib trade, the Revis signing, right? Revis was awesome. The hired gun for the 2014 championship. Amendola, who they signed. I know Amendola is not the biggest Bill fan. That documentary that's coming out on Apple, he says, we worked for Bill, played for Tom. But that was a huge signing. Amendola was a great clutch player. Gilmore signing, he turned into the defensive player of the year. And you bring in guys like the Chris Longs, Kyle Van Noy, who nobody liked in Detroit. He turned out to be a real big contributor. So since 2015, yeah, the drafting and the personnel stuff has gone downhill. But there was a stretch there that these are main pillars to that second dynasty. You think about it from 2010 to 2014. Gronk, McCourty, Chandler, Jones, I should say, Hightower, James White. Those are all guys. They developed players like Malcolm Butler, right? And that helped them build the second dynasty. Now, the second dynasty was more about Brady and the offense. But just a reminder, the Super Bowl teams, 2014, eighth in points per game. 2016, they had the number one defense in the NFL, first in points per game. And remember, that season, they were awesome. And Brady, that was the suspension year where they only lost one game with Tom Brady. And it was against Seattle. 2018, where they won the Super Bowl seventh in points. And they were awesome, of course, against Jared Goff. So he put together, and I know Goff's not great, but the point is they were great against McVay, I should say. So he put together really good defenses to aid Brady and that all-world defense during that second stretch. During the first dynasty, it was his all-world defense, and then Brady was the support system, right? Where it was all about the defense, and then Tom made the necessary plays. And the second dynasty was all about Tom, but Bill put together 
really good rosters that are really good defense around him. Those picks, Gronk, Hightower, McCourty, they get forgotten when we talk about Bill now because of the fact, like the players will never be forgotten, but we forget about these great picks that Bill made because of the dark time that the Patriots have recently gone through with the Nikhil Harrys of the world, et cetera, in terms of drafting. I also think about the 2014 playoff game against the Ravens. Not that it was a conference championship game, but it was awesome. They were down 14 twice, and a team had not erased a 14-point deficit in a game since 2003. So it had been nine years, and the Patriots do it against that Ravens team. You had, of course, the Edelman touchdown pass. And remember, the Patriots in that game, they used those unique formations where the Patriots had four offensive linemen and they threw in a skill player as the fifth lineman, right? And that skill player, it was Shane Vereen, would basically say that he was ineligible. But it completely threw off the Ravens, right? They busted it out in the third quarter. The Ravens are covering Shane Vereen. Like, they don't know what's going on. And so on those three plays, with four offensive linemen and an ineligible receiver, I should say, a 16-yard completion, an 11-yard completion, and a 14-yard completion, remember, they picked this up from Alabama doing it at the collegiate level. And Harbaugh, they score a touchdown on that drive. Harbaugh is so mad. After the game, he says, nobody's ever seen that before. It's not something anybody's ever done. The league will look at that type of thing, and I'm sure they'll make some adjustment. Brady says after the game, maybe those guys got to study the rule book and figure it out. All-time great win. That Ravens team was awesome to erase a two-touchdown lead twice and to come up with these plays. I know you give McDaniels a lot of credit, of course, for the Edelman touchdown pass, but... You think about, too, just like using those formations, absolutely genius. All-time win. One of my all-time favorite wins in the Belichick-Brady era. You also had, of course, Belichick in that Super Bowl, the Malcolm Butler interception, staring across the field at Pete Carroll, which was awesome. 2018 Super Bowl, they held the Rams to three points with Sean McVay. They ran for 3.4 yards per carry. Like, that Rams team was an all-time great offense. And I know you can say what you want about Goff. He's still pretty good at this particular point in time. But you shut that team down. 13-3 famously. I don't know McVay's won a Super Bowl since, but remember how embarrassing it was for McVay where he's like, oh, I can't wait to see what Belichick does for his son, does to us on NFL films. That was just a genius at work in that particular game. Bill was so pumped after that one. And then you think about just a funny moment. The 2014 presser after Deflategate, he says, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert on footballs or football measurements. I'm just telling you what I know. I would not say that I'm the Mona Lisa Vito of the football world as she was in the car expertise area, referencing my cousin Vinny. Like, this guy's talking about a possible scandal, which we all know was a fucking joke, but he's talking about this, and I think that was sort of Bill. Like, are we seriously? Like, is this really a controversy? He makes a reference to my cousin Vinny when he does this press conference. This is awesome. Like, who would come up with that shit? And, of course, he had the first dynasty three and four years, just magical, as we mentioned earlier. The second dynasty... Eight straight appearances in the conference title game from 11 to 18. If you go from 2001 through 2018, their final Super Bowl year, they appeared in 13 AFC title games. The only years they didn't appear, 2002, Brady's uh, first full year as a starter, I should say. 2005, where they lost to Denver. 2008, when Matt Castle was the quarterback. 2009, where the roster was getting bad. That's why I referenced that point where they hit on all those draft picks and 2010 so 13 out of those years you're making it to the afc title game for a significant amount of time it was the patriots invitational so i just thought it was worth going through some of the great memories and obviously you guys all have your own memories that you love but those are some of the memories i have 
from Belichick. And today, like, I'm just sort of sad. I really am. I'm just sort of sad as we look back at how great it was for so long, but sort of how it ended and the fact that now Brady and Belichick are out of our football watching eyes. Of course, Belichick's going to coach another team, but when you look at it, Brady's out of the league. We'll never see these guys together again. No NFL team will experience this type of success with two guys there, or I should say three guys there when we talk about Robert Kraft as well, for so long. And it's just, it's been not great for a significant amount of time. And we all know that, but it is sort of heartbreaking to see that this is sort of how it ends. All right, coming up next, we'll bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome back into Off the Pike. We bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, it's a tough day here in New England. You got your Patriots hat on. I got sort of a Patriots half zip going on. The end of the era has been mm. for a while here, but this just felt that was that press conference, man, was sad. Belichick even thanked the media during it, which is something <laughs> I said he respects yeah. the job that they do, which never thought I'd hear him say thank the fans. The handshake slash hug at the end was sort of awkward. Robert Kraft is like, yeah, Bill's got a cold, so I don't want to <laughs> kiss him, which I mean. But the whole thing, it's just a sad day. It was so quick, too, the press conference. How long yeah, was, was that? Like five I don't know, minutes? It was like three minutes each or something. Yeah. No, it was super sad. I mean, I, I got a little teary-eyed, I'll, I'll admit. But um, especially when he thanked the fans, Belichick, because, you know, I know he feels it in his heart, but he, he rarely says it. So that got me emotional. You know, it's the end of an era. It's the end of the, my childhood, it feels like. It's been my whole life, Belichick. And I don't know. I just think about watching my family, my friends. It's some of the happiest moments of my life, basically, has been about this team. And um, to let the listeners in on a secret, they were, they were my favorite. They were the best team, let's be real. And um, I don't know. I don't think I've ever felt as passionately, basically, about anything other than this Patriots team. And um, they deserved it. Yeah, and I think about, too, like, how awkward it was seeing Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform and how awkward like it. it's going to be now seeing Belichick in a different as Kraft mentioned it, like the different cutoff hoodie and what colors it's going to be. It's just, yeah. it's just weird, man. It's just weird. So I, I ran through my memories. Do you have like a favorite Belichick memory? Like I did this a couple of years ago with, or not yeah. a couple of years ago. I did this last year with Brady when he retired. Like the Brady memories are obviously significantly different than the Belichick memories. Of course, a lot of them overlap because 
they're in the same game, right? Belichick's coaching, Brady's playing, but yeah. I do feel like a lot of them are different. Anything stick out to you? You know, the one that sticks out to me, I was thinking about this. You mentioned it uh, earlier, but um, the end of the Seahawks Super Bowl has got to be the one because the Malcolm Butler play, because I just remember so clearly the clock ticking down and I was screaming at the television, like, why aren't you calling a timeout, et cetera? And, you know, it's, it's just the coolest moment because it's like a, it's almost like a myth because you don't really know what happened. Did he do it on purpose? Did he psych out Carol? Like, isn't that so much fun? And I like to think he did because it worked, obviously. And I just think that was one of the cooler moments because everyone, including myself, was like, what are you doing? And they won a Super Bowl. Yeah, that was I still cannot believe that happened. Like it was amazing. That, like how many times I've watched that over. I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched that over that in the Falcons second half. I've watched yeah. them both like so many times. But yeah, him looking at Pete, Pete's chewing his gum. Crazy moment. Butler makes the crazy play. And then you have the NFL films of like Brady looks like a kid jumping up yes. and down and Garoppolo is there, too. It's just it was insane. And even like the the 16 Super Bowl, too, was just insane, too, that they were able to come back from that deficit. But the I, best. I, I did reference earlier, like the 14 game against the Ravens. That may be my oh, yeah. all time favorite non Super Bowl because obviously the Seahawks Super Bowl like if you're ranking and I did them before, but you think about the great Super Bowls, like the Rams Super Bowl, that was the first one. The Seahawks Super Bowl was awesome. The yeah. Falcons comeback was awesome. Like all those Super Bowl games were great games. But in terms of just a not and that wasn't even the conference championship. It was just wild that game. Yeah, totally. Like you mentioned that. I mean, it was genius. He's a genius. The ineligible, eligible part. I mean, we just yeah. saw them try to do that with the Lions the other week, and they screwed it up. But uh, he started that. I mean, him and Saban. So that was amazing. Obviously, that Chiefs AFC Championship of 2018 on the road, you know, in zero-degree weather in Arrowhead, that was obviously fantastic. Um, the only other thing, too, this is like a side note, but one thing I just loved about Belichick, as we know, he loves special teams, and I just remember all the weird things he did over the years. Do you remember, like, when he had Brady punt the ball, <laughs> like, on, like, third down or something like that, or... He had uh, Flutie's like drop kick field goal, like the first time anyone's ever done yeah, that. Yeah, so there was years. some. Yeah, there was some reporting about the Flutie drop kick thing that oh, we yeah? were going to see something with Matthew Slater this week or last week, I should say. We didn't. Like, you mean he was going to do one? Oh, I don't I know if that. it was going to be a drop kick that, but possibly there could be something like involved in the game. Obviously, the Patriots are not in control of the game, so they couldn't really do much. But yeah, the the Flutie drop kick. I don't think they got definitely- in the end zone. No, the Patriots. I don't think that's what it was going to be. I don't know no, what I it see. was going to be. I just saw like, hey, maybe he'll do something like oh, that would have been cool for Matthew Slater. I don't know what it would be for Slater because he's a gunner. You know what I mean? It's not like I, I don't even know if he can kick the football. So I don't even know what it would have been. But I don't know if they had something Damn. planned for Slater. But yeah, that was that that was awesome. The drop kick. I also wonder, do you think uh, maybe we just watched too many Patriots games? But I feel like also there. Do you remember Schooler had that amazing blocked field goal this year and you remember when jamie collins would do that thing where you kind of like just glide over the center and block the kicks yeah he he kind of pioneered those as well but just a side note but he just did so many cool little things that were really satisfying to watch yeah and just a a funny one too a funny story was in that nfl documentary when the patriots did not have a good season the year they filmed it it was 2009 Mm -hmm. i mean for this patriots team it'd be a great season but they were not good (laughs) that year that was the Ray Rice year. They lost yeah. to Ray Rice where Ray Rice had that. I referenced it earlier, had that long run to begin the game. But Belichick's like on the sideline during one game when they're losing to the Saints telling Brady, I just can't get these guys to do what I need yeah, them to do. I remember that. But during that season, 
Randy Moss comes into Bill Belichick's office, like, and he tells Bill, hey, we're having a Halloween party. We're going to rent a roller skating rink and everybody's <laughs> going to dress up. He's like, I know you guys and the coaches probably don't want to go. And Bill and Bill's like, oh, I love Halloween. How can you beat it? You dress up and you have candy. Like Belichick was all in. And then he yeah. showed up. He had like that pirate costume right, on I mean. or something. He showed up with his girlfriend, Linda Holiday. It was hilarious. He's a big Halloween guy. I like Halloween, too. The one silver lining of all this is I, I think we'll probably get to know Bill a bit better because obviously he was so shut off from the media. I think he's got to be a little more open. then. so I'm looking forward to that. Like, I feel like getting to know him better. Well, two things. I don't think we'll learn anything I guess he'll be a soon. Coach. Damn. Yeah, because he's going to be a coach. But secondarily, I cannot wait for this documentary now. Yes. The Apple documentary that's coming out where I believe it's coming out in February. I don't know the exact date, but now the promos are really there's really starting to push that. And it's going to be interesting because there's a little thing on the trailer where Brady's talking about it, like some things could never be fixed. So I cannot wait to see that because that whole Guerrero thing during that time, the Brady contract stuff, Amendola saying stuff like Gronk having issues during that time. I feel like the the whole documentary is going to be interesting. I'm sure Kraft will try to take credit for keeping the, <laughs> that group together, but we know how that sort of goes but yeah i can't i cannot wait to see that i do love too how Kraft mentioned one thing he mentioned which it's obviously he's giving bill credit but he mentioned during the during his part of the press conference it's amazing he did it during the salary cap and free agency era yeah. which sort of separates him from the rest of the owners that built dynasties too you know what i mean like <laughs> they built i mean it it's a fair it's a fair point it is no it certainly is build is and Bill deserves a ton of credit for that. I'm not taking credit away from Bill. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting you. that Kraft referenced the salary cap era. <laughs> of course. Like, we did it then, the guys. Back. It was a ballsy move trading a first-round pick for Bill Belichick, this kind of failed coach for the Browns. So I'll give credit to Kraft. Yeah, on the napkin, Bill resigns from the Jets. Right. HC. I'll resign as HC of the NYJ. Yeah, that's the only thing that kind of stinks. I, I mentioned the image earlier, but... He loses to the Jets in his final game. The 15-game winning streak ends, but it was a gift from Bill in some sense that now the Patriots have the third overall pick. You know what I mean? Now they can get their quarterback of the future rather than worrying about that. So in the long run, I mean, it was what's what was in the best interest of the organization. But that's sort of like the last moment. Like Brady's last play is throwing the interception against yeah. the Titans. And now Belichick's last moment is whatever the hell he was wearing walking across the field. A parka. No, I mean, it's a good lesson. This is how this is how these things end. So appreciate the good times, I guess. All right, Jamie. Well, good stuff, man. And now get ready for the draft. But more importantly, GM and coaching <laughs> rumors. Get ready for that, man. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's going to be an exciting offseason. Thank you, Brian. And uh, thank you, Bill Belichick. Yeah, it's a good point. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill, for incredible success. Think about that. What is it from 01 to 18? They were in the final four or over 72% of the time. You're one of the best four teams for 72% of the time during that stretch. Over 18 years. Amazing. It was the best. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in. 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. If you want to react to the bill, reti- not retirement, but moving on from the Patriots, certainly can. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Also, if you want to weigh in who you think the next head coach should be. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call one 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. 